Okay, continuing uh, this morning and and trusting God together, we're going to see what God has for us this morning in terms of uh, proper image again. Remember in the type that we talked about in Genesis 25, starting at verse 23, Then the Lord said unto her, of course unto Sarah, Two nations are in your womb, and two manner of people will be separated from your bowels from within you. And the one people will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. And of course, we, we talked about separation and what that means. Of course, separation it, for us, it always has to do with the fact that Christ died for us and as us and paid for all of our sins. And in that sense, he separated us from the flesh. And he did that. And when as soon as we received him, he positioned us in himself. Now he's working that out in time in us, in our experience. So we can we have two manner of people in us. And we, we said in Romans 8, verse 9, we have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. And so, thank God, the older one will serve the younger. The old one will serve the new one (laughs) and will be separated. And so verse 24, and it says, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, there were twins in in her womb. The first came out red all over like a hairy garment and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out. This is Jacob, obviously. And his hand took hold on Esau's heel. Again, that's a picture of when we try to control through our flesh. Because remember, Jacob, he was born again. He was a believer. As their faith looked forward to the cross, Christ being the antitype of all the types. And so he had Christ uh, as his Savior. And so he had life in him, but he still had the flesh. And with his flesh... He would seek to control his, the flesh of another, Esau. And that's what it says when he came out, even from birth. Geez, I mean, even from birth. No wonder it says in Psalm 58, verse 3, as soon as, they, as soon as they are born and they come out of the womb, instantly they speak lies. They're crying, you know, babies crying. They kind of to manipulate because they want their way, when they want it, how they want it. That wouldn't be any of us as adults. Right. <laughs> and so his, it says his hand, his hand, was it God's hand? Was it grace? No. He said in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Because we know that in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, any promotion experientially that we have in Christ, he does it. I mean, he, he's given us the capacity. He's positioned us in Christ. He's given us the image. But even how to function in it, he still has to be in control of us. Why? Because we have the flesh in us. And in a minute, a minute, a millisecond, instantly, instantly, when we forget God, instant, instant under the control of the flesh. And we're going to use our hand to take the heel of another. That means to control someone's life control their walk. 
So instead of having our own heel in our own walk in Ephesians 6.15, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And when I have peace, settled peace with God, and I have that through Christ in Ephesians 2 verse 14, what is there to control? When I'm not in control experientially, I seek to control. And this is these are the twins. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. That speaks of control. It speaks of uh, trying to control someone else's walk. Why? For self-advantage. For advantage of self. And, and so thank God <laughs> we may have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. And God is, in our experience, constantly separating us from that. And that's the sanctification process. It's based upon the fact that we're positioned in him. We're positioned in him because we've been justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. He's dealt with all of our sins. And uh, so therefore, there's no wrath for us in John 3, verse 36, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. I just wish some of my loved ones, my men that I've known for years, would just understand and settle in them the reality of God's thoughts. And like we all can do, not mix our thoughts or someone else's thoughts with God's thoughts. Because when I have God's thoughts, when I'm separated from the flesh, I rest. I rest. And I rest in a proper image. And so I don't have to believe things like I have to go partially through the tribulation period, that I have to go through it partially like some taught and some still do, and then go through it all the way and not make a difference between Judaism and Christianity, who we are in Christ. God needs to separate that too. And of course, the separation he uses, again, even in that spiritual warfare that comes against us in Ephesians 6, 17, is the sword of the Spirit who takes the things of Christ. Right? And to show him unto us, what must he first do? Cut away the flesh, separate. So when there's a cut, there's a separation so that we can function in reality in Christ and know that he has finished everything, hasn't left anything undone, and there's no wrath for us in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. So here it says again, he held onto Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, right? Cunning, supplanter, con man, we've said uh, before, and Isaac was 60 years old when he bore him. Wow. Mm. No. No. <laughs> but then he had a name change, and God is continually with us. When we, we have these struggles, because it's a struggle, truthfully, is the struggle with God. It's really with the flesh, isn't it? The lies and the all these doubts and fears. And so Jacob is led to a place where he's wrestling. He's wrestling with God in Genesis 32. And by the time you get to verse 28, you'll see that there's a name change because he's clinging to him. He's clinging to him who's stronger than him. And that, again, is Joel 3, verse 10, and 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When I'm weak, and he has to make us weak. You remember the picture? He had to take his, his, his thigh out of joint because what would that affect? It would affect him walking in his own strength. 
And you can just picture him after this battle. You know, after our battles with God, all these struggles and, you know, we think we're fighting, uh, you know, others. And, of course, is, is the battle, first of all, ours. In Exodus 14, 14, it's not. It's the Lord's. We just need to stand still and see and realize the deliverance, the salvation of the Lord. And so he tries to control like we do. And when we try to, as believers, try to control others, what are we trying to control? Well, we're going to use the flesh. Is that who we are? And then we're going to try to control others. Is that who they are? <laughs> and it just is, becomes a confusing thing. And so we see here in verse 27 of Genesis 25, it says, And the boys grew, and boy, did they ever. Ugh, yes. The boys grow, and the, the boys become men. That's right. And in their own thoughts, they're men, but they're still boys. <laughs> we need to know, and men, <clears throat> especially men, especially leaders, in, in, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, he's teaching us through separating, flee youthful lusts. You can be an old man and still live in youthful lusts. Then flee them and stop trying to control those things. Can you imagine trying to control all the works of the flesh, which we're not even anymore? Well, the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter. He's a sneaky guy, isn't he? He was a man of the field. When we see that, we see in Matthew 13, verse 38, the field is the world. Where did he do all his hunting? Where was everything about him? Where was he, where was he finding his image and everything about him? It was in the world. And who is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4? The prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. And the very God, in this sense, the ruler of this particular age, this world system, in John 12, verse 31, and 14, verse 30, it is who? It's the enemy. The enemy of who? Because if he, Satan, if he's the enemy and opponent of God, wouldn't he be of us in Christ? God in us. Wouldn't he be? And he is. Well, he was a cunning hunter, of a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man. Boy, he has to make us plain, doesn't he? It's just, you know, simple. Right? The entrance of your words give light. Right? In Psalm 119, 130, it gives understanding unto the simple, really, the humble. Humble. And we, our humility, our humility, really, honestly, is, isn't it Christ in us in this image what we function in? And it is. So Jacob, just like us, we can be, we can function in the humility of who Christ is us and who we are in him and, and in each other. And then we have a proper image. But can I still be, can I still have and still function in that flesh? And I can. Not in a proper image. But see, Jacob was a plain man. And what was he dwelling in? Tents. Was his foundation fixed on the earth? Is ours? Is everything about our life? This earth and everything that we can do to make it as comfortable as we can? Without Christ? And so he was a what? He was, he was a man of, in, in the tents. And Isaac, 
It says here in verse 28 of Genesis 25, loved Esau because he ate of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob had pottage, Esau had pottage, and Esau came from the field. And look what he was. He was what? His faint. Because he kept going to the world, just like the believer can in their flesh. They keep going to the world, and then what? Does it satisfy? Is there any proper uh, energy? There isn't any. And so he was faint. And so Esau said to Jacob, right, feed me. I, I, I beseech you, I beg of you, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Edom, we won't get into that because names are really amazing. It speaks of red. There was something red. It's the red from the earth. And will that satisfy? Will anything of this world system satisfy us? And will it satisfy the dust of our humanity? And because that's Adam, Adam, it's from the red, from the red dirt, the red clay. And so he, call, so he called his name Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. <laughs> Did he take advantage of Esau? Well, would I? Here I am in Christ. I have the flesh in me. But would I take advantage of the, another believer's flesh? Oh, you better believe we would. Boy, do we need to know the difference. We, he would do it. But it, that's what he said. He said, sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, behold, listen, I'm at the point to die. And what profit will this birthright do to me? I'm hungry. Right now, I need this particular thing. I'm forgetting God. What is the birth? I'm forgetting everything about God. I'm completely forgetting him. And I want this need met right now. Does that sound like the lust of the flesh? the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All those things that distract us from a proper image, again, in Genesis 3, verse 6, and in 1 John 2, verse 16. Well, Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Boy, when we function in the flesh, we will sell out everything that God has given us. We will do it in a heartbeat, we, in the flesh. We will sell it out because if, as God's teaching us constantly, the easiest thing for us to do is forget God. And sometimes it can take a while for us to get back into fellowship with him. It's easy to get out of fellowship with God because it's such a, a delicate thing. It's so easy to get out of fellowship, but it can take a long time to get back. But thank God, God has provided us a way back through the way of his promises. And all the promises in Christ, and do they have to do with our image in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in Christ are what? Yay. Yes, and I absolutely agree. I agree about who I truly am in a proper image. I absolutely agree with that, with God. And can two walk together except they be agreed? And Amos 3.3. 3. I don't know. Can Jacob walk properly when he's trying to grab his heel and be in control of him when he's not even in control of himself? Here we are, we as believers in Christ, are we in control of ourselves? And what makes us think we can be in control of another? 
What makes us think we even have that right to do that? And so he said, swear it to me. And he did. He sold him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and and pottage of lentils. Think about what we would sell out. Forget thousands and thousands of mercies, God's gifts, his unconditional love, his grace. All of these things that he's given us in an an instant in the flesh, we'll sell it out. Thank God he doesn't forget us, right? He can't because he would forget his son and he won't. So then Jacob uh, gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and, and rose up and went his way. But look what it says. Thus Esau despised. He absolutely despised his birthright. What does it mean to despise? I don't think anything of it. I will forget you, God, in a heartbeat to take care of this thing. No, I don't care. See you later. Goodbye. What's that like? What is that like? Well, I read this morning of this. While, while we do that, and for any of us, in Proverbs 27, verse 1, it says, Boast not yourself of, of tomorrow. That's the flesh. We, you know, the accomplishment, the plans. Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. Why? Because our life is a vapor. James 4, verse 14. It's here, and then poof, it's gone. How many? Well, Verse 2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth. Would that be the flesh? Let another one praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Look what it says in verse 5. And this is what God in his love is doing with all of us in separating us. Sometimes, what do we need for God to wake us up? Right? Right in Ephesians 5, verse 13 and 14, Oh, awake you that sleep. We sleep in the passivity of times. Of, we sleep in the passivity of death. Separation from Christ. We sleep in that passivity. And then what does he do? He, he wakes us. He rebukes us. Get up. <laughs> Get up. Is it because he's against us? Something against us? I mean that his son hasn't dealt with. Now he's for us. And so that's why Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, open rebuke, listen to this, is better than secret love. Notice that? I mean, we can function with each other that way. Oh, oh. Maybe you came and you heard, you heard the word and it seemed like God was rebuking people. Wow. And then you want to get with them and counsel them with your secret love. The only thing is, it's secret because is it love? When God lovingly rebukes others, okay, the enemy will try to raise up counselors to give them the light because he's an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. And when we don't function in who we are in a proper image, lit up, Psalm 34, verses 5 and 6, we get lit up with who we are in Christ, then we can be ministers of Satan and we can give them secret love. Secret counsel, see? That was too hard. <laughs> that, was, that was so hard. Oh, gosh, I can't believe that. Yeah, I know it was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Open rebuke. Who like, come on. <coughs> Excuse me. Have you ever been openly rebuked and you didn't like that? <laughs> I don't, 
excuse me, I think that should have been done in private. Well, excuse me, <laughs> you know, let God be God. Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. If God does it openly, what's it for? Is it just for me? Or is it manifesting his love? Is it just for me? When God rebukes us, okay, is it just for me? Does it, is it about his glory? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Oh, flesh in the believer. Oh, we'll counsel the flesh in another. Is that faithful? That's not faithful. Faithful, faithful it says, look, are what? The wounds of a friend. Listen, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy. Notice that? The kisses of an enemy are what? They're very, very deceitful. And I think as a believer, when I function in the flesh and take the word and mix my thoughts with God's thoughts, God's thoughts, I'm going to counsel another believer in their flesh. The whole time, God is lovingly rebuking them and waking them up. That's why it's so necessary for us in Proverbs 13, 20. He that walks with wise men will be wise. But a companion, a company of fools will be destroyed. And a fool, in Proverbs 18, verse 2, is one whose opinion and knowledge is all based on the self-life in the flesh. God is not in any of their thoughts in Psalm 10, verse 4. And in the flesh, we think, we think we're just like God. Why? Because we forgot him. And in Psalm 50, verse 21, God says, you thought I was altogether one like yourself. Boy, do we need constant counsel. No wonder we need the yoke in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. We need that yoke, and it should start in our youth in Lamentations 3, verse 27, and begin to know our Creator in the days of youth when evil hasn't got a hold of us and attached itself to us in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. But the kisses, you know the kisses, you know, what do we use a kiss for? To show we're alive? to become one, to kiss. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I don't know. When the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, and the Essenes, all get, who all hated each other independently, when it came to going against Christ, they became one. Isn't that interesting? And Judas, okay, for 30 pieces of silver, he sold out his Savior. Sold him out. Like Esau, sold his birthright. We'll do that in the flesh. But it's not who we are, thank God. Right? And how did Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss. False submission. False submission, not submitted to him. Because a kiss always speaks of submission. And in Job 41, verse 16, in the type, one is so near to another that no air can pass between them. That's when the husband and the wife when they kiss, there's no air from the atmosphere. There's no flesh that passes between them. You keep them out. It's kept out. Because why? We have a new... When, he, when, when the pre-incarnate Christ breathed breath into Adam in Genesis 2, verse 7, he breathed in a new life through salvation, a new breath. Okay, And one is so near to another. And he breathed in that new breath in John 20, 21 and 22. It's a new, new, and that's what we submit to. We don't submit to the flesh. 
we submit in Christ to one another. Now, verse 7 says, The full soul loathes a honeycomb. The drippings, where all that energy is. All that, those truths that we have in Christ brought to us by the Holy Spirit. But when I am full of self, I loathe it. Don't you? Come on. Right? The flesh in, in Galatians 5.17, lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you desire to do. So if I function in the flesh, I don't desire the spirit. I don't desire Christ. Come on, we know that, don't we? Right? We've been participators in both. We all have. And neither can you thank God in Christ and the proper image separated from the old. We can't do the things in the flesh. Why? Because we have a power that's not located in the flesh. We are kept by that power in 1 Peter 1.5 because that power is Christ himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. And with that power comes what? Wisdom. The ability to know when, where, and how and, and to, how, to know the deceptive areas of the flesh to come under the influence of the enemy. But to the hungry soul, to the hungry soul, right? And who makes us even hungry? And when we get to the place of, of hunger that God can only bring us to, what place is that? He's brought us to that particular area in our life where we relied on self or the self in others, where we, what? Never satisfied. We can never, ever, ever be satisfied. But to the hungry soul, to the hungry soul, and he has to create that, what is he bringing us to? Helplessness and hopelessness. Listen, not only in ourself, but even to others, even to those that love us. Listen, it has to be Christ. No one can replace him. And if he is irreplaceable in our lives, do we have fellowship even with those loved ones? We're not even in a place for that. We're just not, none of us. Now, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is what? Sweet. Thank God. Isaiah 5, verse 20, we don't put what? Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We know the difference. We know the bitterness the bitterness of coming to the end. And that may be a struggle, it may be hard, but thank God, thank God, every bitter thing, when we come to the end of ourselves, the bitterness that's in the flesh, in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, when we do every, and then we stop feeding on that, tasting, having the taste of the flesh, in Psalm 34, verse 8, oh, taste and see that he's good. You taste enough of that self, in yourself, and you taste enough of someone, it's not going to work. That, that lust that you're seeking, that causes you to seek others other than Christ, and of course we do have fellowship, pure fellowship, but then what? It just becomes bitter. But thank God, he has to bring us, listen, to the bitter end of ourselves. And at the end of ourselves, who do we find? Christ. And boy, what a taste that is. We taste his goodness in Psalm 34, verse 8. And we taste the sweetness that he is. Look at verse 8. As a bird that wanders from her nest. What's the nest? That place 
where you are, where God has called you, where he does the most in the place where he's called you, as a bird that wanders from her nest. Why would we wander? What causes us to forget God and wander and to get away from him? It's some form of lust in us that hasn't been dealt with yet. So as a bird that wanders from her nest, what's a nest? It's a place of protection. It's a place where she, she's not only fed, but she feeds those others. It's a place of protection and security. And as a bird that wanders from her nest, so was a man that wanders what? From his place. Yes, the place is Christ inwardly, but it's where he's called us to do the most in us because that's the place that he chose because that is what he knew in that place where those things would be bitter, but it would lead us to taste him who's sweet. Look at what it says. So as a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man that wanders from his place. When you and I wander from our place, when we do, and that's why always in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, two are better than one. Two. Is it interesting when Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. That speaks of submission. It speaks of humility and honoring Christ in one another. There he is right in the midst in Matthew 18 and verse 20. We're two, but two are better than one. And then it says a threefold cord is not easily broken, cannot be broken. When you have Christ between two, can't, you can't break it. It's an unbreakable fellowship. It's an, it is an incredible taste. <laughs> and so what happens when we wander? Okay, what happens when we do wander? What happens when you know another believer and they begin to, they begin to wander? You, you begin without judgment. <laughs> There's no discernment and judgment, only in a soul that's broken and a will that's given over so that his will for that person can flow through you as a vessel. And he'll raise somebody up. And look what it says in Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron. When a person starts to get dull, when they start to forget God, when they begin to wander from their proper place, when they do, just like the prodigal in Luke, the 15th chapter, when they begin to wander, what comes in? Iron sharpens iron. When the blade gets dull, when we get dull, when the blade loses its edge, when we lose our sharp edge, the edge that separates, in Hebrews 4.12, the soul from the spirit, and it begins to curl up, Right? Then what happens? You need to have iron. And what is the iron sharpening iron doing? It's removing what keeps the blade from being sharp. And that's what the rebuke is. Wake up. <laughs> You're dull. You're sleeping. <laughs> Spiritually, wake up. Wake up. It's time to seek me, and it's time to seek me early right away. <laughs> right away. So iron sharpens iron. Look at what it says. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now in Isaiah 3, verses 8 and 9, a countenance, we can be functioning in the flesh, and it begins, that countenance testifies against us, against, against who we are in Christ, against who we are in him. And then one who's functioning properly by pure grace and a proper image becomes what? That tool in the hand of God, and he can sharpen his brother or uh, one woman to another. 
sharpens the countenance because the countenance is starting to testify based upon a lie, based upon lust, that this is that now that you failed, God's against you. No, he's not. No. No, he's not against you. The word comes in and, and, and it keeps us sharp and precise. And it's very precise. And so, the, so a man, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's a true friend. That is a true friend. A true friend at times, and this is always done in love, never in accusation and in, in condemnation. That's open rebuke. Sometimes we need to be faced. That's what Jesus was doing with Peter. He openly confronted him. Open rebuke speaks of confrontation. We don't. And God wants us to find out what is causing the distance between us and him in an area of the flesh. Because he knows in Numbers 32, verse 23, if it's not found out, your sin will find you out. The sin will find us out. And is that who we are? Is sin who we are in, in Romans 7, 17, and 20? No, it's not. So what we can see here is that in these two twins, right? We, is, now, is the flesh in us? Yes. Are we of that? No. That has been, the Esau life, okay, that's been crucified. But we still have this flesh. And in a sense, it's almost like within one of us are twins. <laughs> but are they alike? Oh my God, no. Is this who I am? Is my failure, my, my rejection of myself, someone else's rejection of me, is that my proper image? Gosh, no. No, because the flesh profits nothing. No, in John 6, 63, in Romans 7, 18, there's no good in it. We talked about good the other day. Good belongs in God. And we have a very goodly heritage, a godly image in Christ. And so we see that that's what, that's what Esau did in a heartbeat. He just sold it out. How many do that? I mean, even in terms of salvation, receiving Christ. Here, this, is, this, this can be yours. Nope. Not going to do it. I'm going to let, no, no. No, this is my life. It's the earth. It's the world and success and everything I can do here. And God forbid that those of us that are in Christ, that becomes our occupation. Instead of occupying with him in Luke 19, 13, until he comes. And what a beautiful thing that is. So we have this image. And remember, we said way back when that our natural birth made us members of this fallen race, the sinful first Adam race. But we have been had, we've had a transition from the old sinful race to the godly new race. And what is that? What is that? It's what? It's the new birth. Everything about us is new. Constantly. Constantly new. And, and what a tremendous thing that is. Now, we'll go all the way over to here. And by the time we get in, in, in Jacob, remember, he's, he's a type. He's a type of, type of us in Christ. It says in Genesis 35, verse 1, here's, here's Jacob again. This is after he had his confrontation with God. And in that confrontation in Genesis 32, he had this name change. God is constantly reminding us, this name speaks of character. This is your character. You, because of Christ, 
He, because he rules and reigns over you, you can rule under him as a prince. Rule and reign. And that's why, even in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we will what? Reign with him. Suffer having the flesh dealt with. Yeah, great suffering. <laughs> great. Coming to the bitter end of that, yes. And then finally, when I come to the bitter end of myself, I taste and say, oh my God, he's so sweet. How long have we been out there at times, like the prodigal, doing our own thing, forget him, moments at a time, days, weeks, months, years. Finally, finally, God brings us to a place where we come, where we, we come to the end of ourselves and we start remembering him. And usually when we're in the flesh, if we don't have God's thoughts, we think we have to earn our way or do something to get back when he's just waiting in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to be gracious. And then what did, what did God say to Jacob? He said, arise in Genesis 35, verse 1, arise. We said the other day, and go up. Everything about our view is heavenly. Every single thing about it. Who lights up heaven? Who's lit up heaven? Who lights up us now while we're on our way to be with him? It's Christ. He said, arise, go up to Bethel, Bethel, human spirit, and dwell there and make there an altar unto God, a place of worship, sacrificial worship. And for us, for us, that is uh, Hebrews 13, verse 15, we offer the sacrifices of praise. We have an altar in our heart. It's only for him. And he's making room for Christ in us in our experience, just for him and him alone. And that becomes an altar of praise, sacrifice. And uh, what a privilege that is for us. So we then make an altar there unto God that appeared unto you when you fled in fear from the face of Esau. You know, when he finally, when, when finally he stopped struggling, Jacob stopped struggling with God in the flesh, when he, all he could do was cling to him. That's all we need to do. Not fight. Just cling to him. Just cling to him. And, and, uh, and when we do, when God dealt with Jacob, in that he dealt with all his fears, was the fear, was the fear of Esau greater than the reverence of Christ, the reverence of God in him? And of course, we know there's no fear in 1 John 4, 17, in love, because God has never given us that spirit of, of fear, but power, power, who we are in Christ in a proper image, and love, and a very well-disciplined mind. And so Jacob said unto his household, all of those with him, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods. That's what he's doing with us, put them away. Because we said the other day, what's behind the idol? What's behind that thing that we lost? Honestly, it's demons. We've been seduced. In 1 Timothy 4.1, some will depart in the latter days. We in the latter days. If they were latter back then, in 1 Timothy 4.1, where are they now? In the latter days, some will depart from the faith. In other words, they'll forget God, forget Christ, all that he's accomplished in their life. And then what they do? When we turn from him, we give heed to what? Seducing spirits and the teachings of those demons. They teach you and tell you, you need this thing. You need this plus Christ. 
You, while you wait for Christ to do this, you need this particular thing to do. Do we? I don't know. Last time I checked, God supplied all our needs, singular, in Philippians 4.19, by and through his riches in Christ Jesus. That's what he did. But the enemy, oh boy, constantly trying to get us away to go back to those strange gods. Why were they so strange? They don't have anything to do with who we are in a proper image. They don't have a single thing to do. That are among you. I don't know. One sin. One sin. Are things that are undealt with in a believer. And then the areas that are not dealt with, they literally, listen, without con- condemning or accusing anyone, they come right out in your countenance. And you may not express it, but you're expressing it, and I would be in the flesh, with a, with ver, with a non-verbal communication. And what would you, I'm not satisfied, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm confused. Come on. You know, when you desire transparency with God, can you hide it? Come on. But you know, when it gets openly rebuked and exposed, do we like that if we're in the flesh? Hey, I didn't think you should do that. Well, you know, that's what you thought wasn't God's thought because maybe you needed it at that point because you wouldn't get it any other way and sometimes God has you know he has to knock on the head or on the will of others a lot stronger than most and when he has to knock hard on those it's because they got a heart we all have a bad will outside of Christ but it can be some of it is cemented and and it becomes what right it becomes a solid pour a strong will very strong will. You ever hear that? You ever hear people, yeah, I love hard and I hurt hard. Yeah, you do, because you know why? Guess why? You got a strong will. And it takes God, hello, a time to get in there. But the entrance of his words, finally, and no wonder he has to make our heart soft, our mind and our emotion don't know. I will. In Job 23, verse 16, the Almighty troubles me. Oh, I don't want the trouble. Yeah, well, whose flesh does? The Almighty troubles me. No, it's the person. No, it's the circumstance. No, it's the situation. It's the lack of funds. It's all this other stuff that troubles me. No, the Almighty troubles me. Why? He's trying to make my will, my heart soft, so that the penetration of the Word in Psalm 119, 130 can have entrance and give light and give you understanding to light you up. This is reality. What you're you're involved in right now, in this world, you're just passing through. And the flesh wants to settle down and forget God just like Cain did in Genesis, the fourth chapter, and those first 17 verses. And then you see the whole flow of it. I mean, even with music, what, what did God mean? What was music all about? Listen, music, proper music has to do with the worship of Christ. Listen, period. Flesh isn't involved. And if you don't believe me, follow it through and see the gifts that these men, that God gave them to make things and to worship became what? A means of keeping Christ out, the memory of a crucified Savior. Everything, just get out, stay away from me. Now I'm going to make my life as comfortable as I can right here. Yeah, and guess what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to try and control, as a Christian, I'm going to try and control my flesh, and then I'm going to control yours, and we're going to call it what? Fellowship? Nope. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 is fellowship. It's Christ alone, period. 
And that's what he has for us as a desire. So here we see here, put away those strange gods from you and be clean and change your garments. We said this the other day in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24, it speaks of putting off the old. Putting it off. Stop living for the flesh. Put it off. Put it off and put on the new. What's that? Image. Image. Because the enemy is going to speak to us through a false, lying image. That's called the flesh. But who does, Christ, who does God speak to us through? He speaks to us through Christ, the proper image. Listen, everything about us is Christ. Everything about us is heaven, not this earth. We are strangers and pilgrims, strangers. 1 Peter 2.11, we are passing through because we are a heavenly people. We are not an earthly people. We're not. We're a heavenly people. Everything about us has to do with heaven. That was the whole reason, even in the ark that Noah, and and he was given specific directions of how to build that because the type of it was Christ in Genesis, the eighth chapter, and then in the ninth chapter. And then you see there was only one window and it was up the top. Look up. This is your image. Not here. Everything about you is not horizontal. Everything about you is here. You have a heavenly position in Ephesians 2.6. That's the type in the ark. And so he said, change your garments and let us arise. Get up. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Arise from the passivity of the flesh, settling down and wanting to be comfortable. Arise. Because, you know, in one moment we could be gone and where, where are we then? In his presence, instantly. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, everything about us, and I will make there an altar unto God. Okay, God is spirit in John 4, verse 24, and he seeks worshipers in 4.23, and in 4.24, God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit. New image. Not the flesh. Self-consciousness. Again, there's the sword in Ephesians 4.12, the word that has to wake us up in areas where we're passively sleeping in the flesh. Wake up! Hey! You're disturbing my sleep. You're disturbing where I'm resting. Yeah, thank God. Thank God. Yes. And I'm thanking him with you. Let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar. Unto God, who answered me in the days of my distress. He's bringing us back. You remember what I did? When everything about that old life, everything about that old place that I dealt with, everything about it, how I healed you and delivered you from all your sin and your distress and all your misery. Huh? Well, you've gone back. <laughs> and here he lovingly rebukes us lovingly does that. So, make there an altar. He delivered me of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. You need to go the right way, God's way. In John 14, 6, that's Christ. He's the way. Because in Proverbs 14, 12, and in 16, 25 of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the way there are the ways of death, separation from Christ. Separation from a proper image. And so it says here again this, that 
that in the days of his distress, God was with me in the way that I went. He has to bring me back to the right way, right thoughts. And then in verse 4 it says, And they gave unto Jacob, they gave unto Jacob, here he's a type, all the strange gods which were in their hand. Boy, you know, that hand that he was using to control. All those strange gods those strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears, something getting in the way, like money and gold and all these things can get in the way from us hearing properly and submitting properly in areas, in Romans 10, verse 17, which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak, so they, under the oak, which was by Shechem. He did that so that they would hide. And you know what? We died. Everything about us and the flesh is dead in Colossians 3.3. 3. And our life is hidden with Christ and God. Because Christ is our life. Soon to appear. So much sooner than we think. It's sooner than we ever think, by the way. Either we're going to go home to be with him or he's going to rapture us. One of those two. And you know what? Usually it's way sooner than what we think. The enemy constantly wants to, wants to convince us the greatest lie of the enemy to the unsaved, but to the Christian who lives in the flesh is that you have more time. It's not so dangerous just yet. It's okay. It's okay. God understands. Yeah. Sure he does. And he does. And thank God. He understands us. He understands us in the reality, in the absolute reality of who we are in Christ. He wants us, but he needs to bring us to that understanding. And so they journeyed, and that listen, they journeyed in the way that God was leading them through the world system, not settling down. And the terror of God was upon the cities. The fear and awe and, and fright of their enemies, of God being in them, was upon them. <laughs> Look what it says. The terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue. They did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Their enemies couldn't pursue them. Why? They were submitted to God. And when we submit to him, in James 4, 7, we put Christ between us and the enemies. What does the enemy do? What does fear do? Doubt, worry, rebellion, stubbornness. Boy, don't tell me that doesn't come out on the countenance. And in an instant, whoa. Oh, I love to see that in my own life and others. Oh, he's back. We can fellowship. She's back. We can fellowship. The sweetness, the love that we had, all the investment that God did in us through each other. And we're not, we're not forgetting it any longer. It's sweet. Now we can continue this love life together and in this exchange of the Christ life that's in us. And so we, they put them all away, and when they did, all their enemies were seeing the terror of God when they would even begin to think that they would come after them. Again, Isaiah 54, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you, God will deal with immediately. Immediately. And when the enemy, not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, where does the flood come in against us? Where's the opening when the enemy comes in like a flood? 
It's the flesh in the believer. God immediately lifts up a standard against them. Immediately. But he has to lift it up to us. He has to lift it up to us. Then with Christ in us, we turn as one and the enemy flees. And that's James 4, 7. So as we wrap this up, in a most incredible way, as, as again, as we going on with image, we haven't even got into, what is today? Thursday. We'll get into in a much better way, uh, I believe, and in a deeper way, of where they were headed. And we'll see where they were headed and in the types and where we're headed. Because everything about us, everything about us is, how does God guide us? How do we know that God is guiding us? And this is what we'll close with. How, how do we know that God is guiding us? Because what's the one thing that we have when he does? Peace. We're resting. And can I rest if I don't have peace? And if I don't know my proper image and I don't know Christ in me, the very image of God for me specifically, can I rest? Can I rest in anything other than him? You know, my finances, my job, try and make the circumstance and situation as good as I can make it because I, I'm still not being obedient in areas, but I'm going to make it as good as I can. And I'll get back to you, God. Better read James, the fourth chapter. 13, 14, and 15. Boy, read those. The plans that we make and we think we have that for, uh, for tomorrow... That could, be the, that could be the night we're in his presence. And he wants us in his presence the way he sees us without any shame in Hebrews 2.11 and doesn't want any shame in us. And where's the shame located? It's in the flesh. Has that been dealt with? Is there any guilt or shame in love? Is there any about who we are in Christ in Romans 8.1? There's, there's not a speck. Not a speck of it. So I'm looking forward with everyone else. More and more of this as God begins to continue to show us these tremendous truths that we have. And uh, that's why I believe these mornings are so vital. I do, because why so much? Again, why every day? I don't know. If, and again, I say, if God leads you, fine. To come, come. He doesn't. He's going to have you somewhere else, but you'll have peace but he's redeeming the time. Please know that. He's redeeming the time because in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, the time has shortened. That's what it's saying. Your time, our individual, listen, honestly, our time is shortened. Think that you can go back and get that time again. You can't, but God can redeem it. He can, and he will. And he can redeem it in Ephesians 5, 16. Redeeming the time, your time. Because the days are still, still evil, still poneros, infectious evil in active opposition to God's divine good about your specific image. Where you lived in the past or didn't have teaching or were ignorant or you rebelled, he wants to redeem it. That's what this is all about for all of every one of us. Why? Because in, in Revelations 10, 6, is gonna, time will be what? No more. Then we enter into the eternal state. In Revelation 22, verse 11. He's getting us ready. 
He's training us in time for, for eternity because he's equipped us with eternal life, the life that Christ is in us in 1 John 5, 11. But for now, there's a separating process because he wants our appearing with him at the Bema seat, right, to show us the gold, silver, and precious stones, the reality of that life in Christ in us. Thank God all the rest will be burnt up. He's going to show us what happened with it. <laughs> and we're going to be going like this. There won't be any terror there. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.